0: One of the things that makes me angriest is when I see men denying the scope of our national sexual violence epidemic by claiming that there are many false reports of sexual assault, and therefore victims cannot be trusted. In their stunning documentary, Victim Suspect, reporter Ray DeLeon and director Nancy Schwartzman dig into cases where women were charged with filing false reports, but insist they were telling the truth. What the investigation showed about police conduct when investigating reports of sexual assault was shocking. Ray and Nancy join us to discuss.
1: For a lot of survivors, there's a big fear that you won't
0: be believed. My name is Diane Bermio. My name's Emma Mannion um, and I'm in the same boat as tiny. People
1: on social media were talking about these women and why they didn't come forward and why they didn't give their names and why didn't they go to the police. And day after day I was getting more and more angry because
2: I knew why they didn't go to the police. None of us do. I think that police get angry when they feel like someone's lying to them. I think they, they want to make an example of people. And I also think they know that the public's going to eat it up. Hi, I'm Ray DeLeon. I'm a journalist working to expose problematic police tactics used against young people reporting sexual assault.
1: I'm Nancy Schwartzman. I make documentary films and series that expose systemic
0: injustice and work to end sexual violence. Sorry, Sorry, not not sorry. Ray and Nancy, thank you so much for being here. I want to just start with asking each of you to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Ray, you can go first.
2: So I'm Ray DeLeon. I'm a journalist and a reporter. I work for a nonprofit newsroom, and for the last five years, I have dedicated my whole heart <laughs> to a story exposing problematic police tactics while investigating reports of sexual assault. And I live in California. This is where I was uh, born and raised. And um, yeah, your turn, Nancy. All right. Um,
1: Hi, I am Nancy Schwartzman. I am the director of Victim Suspect, my recent documentary, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to get to capture Ray's story. Victim Suspect is my fifth film and my second feature film. And I love diving into investigations that expose systemic issues. So that really look at the underlying causes And the broader sort of interwoven effects of whether it be police inaction, violence against women and girls, cultural norms around sexual violence. That's the kind of stuff that I'm just really drawn to. And I loved working with Ray because journalists just get in there, they get in the weeds, they ask all the questions. And it was really awesome to get to use the language and tactics of law enforcement in victim suspect to really expose. Their behavior and their tactics. To me, there's no better way than to show versus to tell. So it was like a really exciting opportunity for me.
0: And, Ray, will you just tell us a bit about the reporting that you did that brought you to Victim Suspect? What made this become your heart
2: and your passion story? I started with one story back in 2018 that I had heard about, which was really surprising, really weird. On its face, it seemed like this. there's a young woman who said that she made up this story of rape that she had told police in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And then I, I read it and I saw she was facing six years in prison. I thought, man, that's just a long time. What could she have done? And I look into it, I call her attorney. And as with so many other cases I found, there's just so many glaring problems that journalists didn't pick up on, that seemed like the prosecutors didn't care about or look into in any way. So I thought, I guess I'll do it. (laughs) And there was definitely a big hole in this landscape. I didn't see any other journalists covering it. The last big story was the very well-known story, An Unbelievable Story of Rape, which was about one case in Washington, and the journalist won a Pulitzer, and that's amazing. But after that, I didn't see anything else. So I thought, okay, there's no one else doing this, so I should be the one to do it.
0: And then just so I have a timeline of how you made this film, Nancy, you were making Victim Suspect alongside Ray as she was doing the reporting on this story. Is that right? It was Ray
1: had done a couple years of reporting, finding sources, filing FOIAs, getting some connections with victims. And then Ray and I met and she really felt like she and Amanda felt like we have a film here right now. It's on paper right now. There's some video, but like, we want to turn this into a film. And I was just coming off the heels of my prior film, roll, red roll, which felt like an extension or like a next step. So we teamed up and then drafted it out on paper, how the thing could be a feature film, and then brought it uh, to Netflix. Ray had done some preliminary connecting with sources, like, this is the problem I'm finding. We made the agreement that the film would also track Ray's progress as a journalist, because initially it was like, no, we're going to focus on this problem and the victims, but... We were really inspired by Ray's push and Netflix was like, oh, we want to follow this journalist also as she's uncovering. So that became part of the story when we got started
2: together. Was there a point with the investigation where you felt like the police just you knew they weren't believing you? And the detective told me he didn't hold you down. That's about
0: rape. If you continue to lie to me, this is about to go south. I do not believe
1: you. I do not believe
0: you at all. It is a crime to file that false report. Was there just so much footage? I'm just trying to wrap my head around how you make a film about events as they are unfolding, as they are happening in real time. Because you didn't ultimately know how this was going to end. No. Mm -mm. And you never know. And that's the beauty and incredible mystery
1: of documentaries. And there's always that tension of we need to know what's going to happen or when is this thing ever going to end? So you have to put like an end point and work backwards. But we were really fortunate that Emma Mannion was willing to go on a journey with us. And well, Ray was pushing and we didn't know what the outcome of those efforts would be, but we knew we were going to follow that. And in the middle of all of this work, Ray found Diane. So that was really incredible that Diane trusted Ray and then trusted me, Diane and Emma got along so well. And really she said yes to us to be able to go to court with her and watch that all unfold. So in documentaries, I would say there's like always a little bit of luck and a little bit of magic, but if you keep sort of showing up in the right place and meeting the people that are in the network, like we met Lisa Avalos who brought us to Carl Hirschman and the network just starts to present itself in a way.
0: And then, right, can you and maybe it might be too broad, but because I would imagine we don't really know. But can you contextualize the scope of the sexual assault epidemic in the United States and what those numbers tell us?
2: So to give a better idea of the scope that we're talking about nationally, there are well over 400,000 sexual assaults in the U.S. Less than 30 percent of them are ever reported to police. And only 1% of them are ever prosecuted. So the likelihood that there's going to be justice in that sense is already quite low. So the incentive is already quite low to report. And so to add this as another risk factor is really troubling.
0: I want to come back to those numbers for various reasons. I think, obviously, those numbers are just huge. And I don't think people really understand that this is why people don't want to report, right? This is why women don't want to report, because it is a struggle to get anyone to believe us. So I do want to come back to those numbers. But first, you mentioned Emma Mannion before. Can you tell us a bit about her story,
2: so Emma was 18 and a freshman at the University of Alabama. This was in the fall of 2016. And very normal Saturday night, she went out with some friends to a few different parties off the main strip. And she just randomly met these five guys who, you know, were like friendly and joking and offering them more drinks. And her and her friends started to walk back toward the main strip. And this would have made sense because it was going to go back in the direction of where she lived. and. You know, anyway, you're just talking to these guys. She splits off from her friends, and then she's stuck with these two men or are strangers to her. She's not even really sure what their first names are, definitely not their full name. And they're leading her to this car that's in a gravel parking lot. She's thinking really nothing of it, just, okay, maybe they're going to drive me home. And that's not what happens. She, her recollection is that she's pushed into the back seat. She is assaulted, and she is not let out of the vehicle because the other friend is keeping Guard, it's all it feels like very quick, but also very long at the same time. And so she does get out of the car and a good Samaritan drives her home. And then she for the rest of the night is just yeah, really processing and it's just awful and decides the next day that she's gonna report. And her mom, who in the film is a nurse. And her mom is very process-oriented, very organized. She's you're gonna go get a sane exam. So Emma really like tries to do everything the right way. She tries to get a sane exam by a nurse who's gonna provide a rape kit as a process of that. She talks to the police, she cooperates with the police, tells them everything she remembers, and then days later, she still hasn't really slept much, they turn the tables on her.
0: We have pulled, oh, if you go if you have any idea how many video cameras are around there, all of that
1: has been pulled, okay? I'm going to tell you from, from the investigation, you're not being honest with me, okay? Well, what I just told you? Yes, I do not believe you. I do not believe you at all. And I think you're one of those people that's taken away from my true victims. And I just want to add a couple of things that were really important to raise investigation and, you know, the police lack of investigation. Emma has video footage of one of the guys, right? Because they're hanging out before she's let off and there's video footage of this guy. They're dancing and joking around. You know, if you were a law enforcement officer that was actually trying to prosecute a young woman sexual assault, you would have taken that video immediately. You would have gone after it. You have a location, you have a potential perpetrator, and Emma had that material. So that's one thing. The other thing that was really key is her mom saying, go get an examination in the middle of a medical examination where she's alone, where she's naked, where she has a paper gown on law enforcement officers walk in the room. So she's never asked, we're bringing the cops in now. Do you want to report this now? So now you're entering the legal process. That was not clear to her because she's coming to the hospital completely distraught and she's getting a medical exam where her body is evidence, and the cops come in. So those are two pieces that are also just so important to the story. And it also shows that the hospitals are letting cops in to exams, like first take care of the victim find out what she needs, what her body needs, before you're bringing the
0: whole criminal justice system. Oh, I just got the worst kind of chills down my back. And why was it important just as a filmmaker to start there with Emma's story? Emma's story really provides this investigative
1: journey for Ray to go on. We had this hours of police material of Emma being interrogated. So why I really wanted to say yes to this project was Ray, was Aval to get police footage, right? So you're watching Emma's interview. You see her, you know, it's a few days after her assault. You know that she's 18. You know that she's by herself. You're just watching her in this room with this cop who starts to just insinuate and twist and turn her into saying, oh no, you're, wait, you said a detail wrong. Last time you said it was this way, but now you're saying 1140 or was it 1110? Was it 1 a.m.? You know, there's just this, stuff. And he talks about this video that he has. He claims to have video evidence of Emma kissing or fooling around with the assailant, right? So Ray then goes and embarks on this journey to find this video, verify this video. We have footage of Emma's perpetrator from a phone that her friend took. That's a witness taking a video of this kid, right? Or this young man. Is he in the video? What's Emma wearing the night of? It's like such a good investigative sort of process that Ray does. And the remarkable thing is that law enforcement doesn't do this. Ray does the investigation. So we have video footage of what Emma looks like, what Emma's wearing. Okay, so what is this smoking gun footage the Tuscaloosa Police Department has? So we got to really film Ray trying to find out where the cameras were. Okay, we go to the gravel lot. Were there. Okay, did they film from here? Did they film from here? Ray brings Emma back to the scene. There are no cameras where she said she was assaulted. So Ray actually had to work with an attorney to sue the police department for them to release footage. We get the footage. It doesn't look like her at all. Four and a half hours to go through. So it's like this painstaking process that a journalist is doing to clear the name of a rape victim. Wait, the
0: footage didn't look like Emma?
2: No, not at all. The footage did not have Emma in it. It was gathered from a spot where she never walked past. And what happens in the film, not to spoil it, people haven't seen it. What happens is I get this footage from the police. I'm watching it with this colleague of mine. And we were like, where is Emma? There's no Emma. There is a random couple kissing, making out, and has the same physical features of these two people. Did they think that was Emma? They would never answer my question want to be super clear about that. I'm not saying that they did misidentify her, but at first we were wondering what's going on. So then at the 11th hour, we're sending our final, like, these are our findings, Sheriff. Let me know what you think. <laughs> and he doesn't want to answer anything. He says he can't because Emma beat as a youthful offender. But what he will do is he will give me some footage that it looks like I don't have. And in that footage is what you see at the very end, which is just exactly what emma said she's walking with two guys and a friend and they're walking on in this direction toward the strip and there's like a brief little kiss it's not making out it's a kiss yeah it's just that's exactly how she described the night so yeah
0: and emma is not the only woman that you profile you also highlighted nikki Yovino and diane bermio who were also convicted of filing false reports of sexual assault What made these three women stand out from the cases you looked into?
2: Nikki was the very first one, and Nikki was certainly the one that had the longest, one of the longest sentences, I think, that someone was was looking at, which was six years in prison. And she had this very bizarre thing, which I could go on and on about, but I'll keep it short, is that she was charged with tampering with evidence. The theory, the legal theory, is that She lied about the assault, and by lying about the assault, that meant that the rape kit was tantamount to false evidence. She didn't touch the rape kit. She didn't do anything with the rape kit, just presenting her body.
1: Yavino claimed he and another student raped her while all three attended Sacred Heart University in 2016. Instead, it was the Long Island native who was charged when the police investigation revealed sexual activity had occurred but was consensual.
2: Attached to a false claim was in and of itself a crime. And that she used her own body to deceive the nurse, the forensic nurse, which was so troubling and scary because I was like, well, what does this mean for people who need to go get a rape kit? That they have to now absolutely be sure that they're going to prove that they were raped, which is very hard to do already, usually. Otherwise, what? The rape kit is... A crime? I mean, what what are you telling people? So it just felt very scary and and again a chilling effect against victims. So that's why I went to Nikki. Diane was so fascinating because she had reported that it was a complete stranger who had done this to her. And I thought, this is bizarre. Like it's not like you know, anyone was allegedly falsely accused here. Like, what what's happening? And sure enough, I realized that it was the same thing as her and Emma. They were told and Nikki, they were told there was this video, proved that they lied. And they either recant or they back off of the claim that they initially made.
0: It's wild to me because, Nancy, you mentioned before that here we have Ray, a journalist, doing the work that law enforcement should be doing. And I think that's something that's so striking about victim suspect is it really reveals the work that the little minute things that get left out, the important stuff. Why is this? Why does it take Ray to come in to do the work of law enforcement?
1: Well, I just also want to point out that even before we get into the big why, that in Nikki Ovino's case, the law enforcement officer that prosecuted her, there were also already some complaints about him, number one. So sort of like this isn't a non, you know, squeaky clean. There were other rape victims who had complained about the way he had treated them. And in the Diani case, the man was later arrested. There was a six foot five man that she had identified. She had said this guy was really tall. Law enforcement had said, oh, it might be that guy who's already been busted for impersonating law enforcement. But instead of completing that, they blame her, ruin her life for a few years for sure. And then our film comes out. And it turns out the man that Diane had, you know, well, she didn't identify him. She didn't know him. But that man that was named that Ray goes to find was arrested and is in prison for sexual assault. So it's also Ray's doing incredible work, but also it's all out there, right? There was a complaint against one of Nikki's perpetrators. Emma Mannion has footage of one of the accomplices. Diane's naming someone that they already know. It's like, you guys, why aren't you completing the task. Why do you care so little about what is being said? Are you clearing your desk? Carl Hirschman, who's in the film, talks about being the head of the San Diego Police Department rape division or sexual assault division at San Diego, saying the cases are hard. Sexual assault takes time. So you do have to do boots on the ground investigative work. It's going to take time. Are people trying to clear their desk? Is it just easier to get a young person to recant because you can poke
0: holes in her story or their story a little bit? But why would they even want to do that just to make their lives easier? That's the thing that I'm having such a hard time. I mean, we've all understood that women have been subjugated forever and that women are considered property. So do you think it goes that deep as far as historically where we've been what we've had to fight against. Let's get to the big of it. Why the hell is this going on? Some people have said, and it could
1: be like a backlash to Me Too, right? So women are told, we believe you, speak up, share your story. And law enforcement are operating on these rape myths. There's still like a big myth out there that women make it up, that they use, oh, I was raped to get back at a man, to get out of finishing their homework I mean, some of the cops have said like, oh, were you having trouble in school? It's find a young woman in college who's going to say she was raped if she gets out of writing a paper. Are you kidding? So there's a lot of misconceptions that women, men or trans people make up being assaulted. And actually, we know those numbers are really small. It's only two to eight percent of any and all rape claims are false. That's a really small number. It's like one of the smallest, right, of any made up crime. So law enforcement's operating on the assumption that like 40 to 50% of them make it up. And they're getting that from TV, they're getting that from movies and they're getting that from rape myths and a belief that actually understanding how big the problem is, is gonna shatter their conception of the world. It means that people they know and care about have committed sexual assault. It means people they know and care about have been the victims of sexual assault. Like we all have to just hold that truth and accept it so we can move forward to end it. So I think it's like they're operating on all rape myths and also telling women to go run and report their crimes without really interrogating the way the police operate is pretty dangerous for us, I would say.
0: But what's the alternative? Not reporting the crimes? And you mentioned potentially being Me Too Backlash. But this has been going on for forever, right? And throughout the world. And I think you're right that we can't reflect upon one without fixing the other. I think that's really smart. What I don't understand is why I remember a decade ago that there was a factory found in, I think it was Los Angeles County, of a backlog of rape kits that had not been processed Rape victims in the United States undergo exams to collect physical evidence, including DNA, for what's
1: called a rape kit. The process can take up to six hours. The evidence is sealed in an envelope and frozen until it's tested. But in thousands of cases, that evidence is never tested. In Los Angeles, more than 12,000 rape kits are just sitting in storage lockers.
0: So there is a huge warehouse found of rape kits that were not ever processed. So this is going on for forever. And it just makes me think of like, A, how are we still at this point after Me Too? But B, what is it because women were not in the Constitution, are not in the Constitution? Is it because we were considered property for so long? Is it because we just 100 years ago fought and won the right to vote? What is it? Like, how? Because it doesn't just come out of nowhere. You look at Black Lives Matter and police brutality, and you can really connect the dots in a way of this is why we needed a movement like Black Lives Matter. And what we're talking about today is why we needed a movement like Me Too. We can say it. What I don't understand is how it's still happening.
2: I think that it's so many things. Like you said, it goes back forever. I was doing research on this for a text piece and it goes back to the Bible. It goes back to the Old Testament. Uh, I think it's Exodus. It was Potiphar's wife said that Joseph had raped her and it was allegedly because she was jealous because Joseph wouldn't sleep with her. Oh my God, come on. I mean, the Bible, we can already debate any veracity of the Bible. But just this has been in our brains for so long that like women are conniving, manipulative, they're out for something. And also, I think for so long, we've thought of sexual violence as not very serious. It's not, it's like a joke. It's not really that bad. It's not that violent. And just, I do think just recently, people did start to understand a little bit more about just how traumatic it is to go through something like that and how it actually, I really appreciate people who do the research to show that people who rape or commit any kind of sexual violence, they will go on to escalate. They will do it again if they're not caught, if there's no rehabilitation. And, you know, it's sad to say, but sometimes people need to understand it will escalate to something that's could never be look consensual. That's the other complicated thing about sex crimes is if the person's known to them, which they often are, even with Emma's case, these guys were basically strangers, but somehow the police were like, you were just embarrassed that you had sex with literally, they say strangers and the police report with strangers in a vehicle. And it's just so wild because it's like, it's the only violent crime where you can claim consent. It's that that's it. That's the only one that I know of. So that's very complicated. And then police are just, in general, not terribly good at this. You have a homicide detective working a sex crimes case. Those don't go together. And yeah, I noticed also your big why question. I thank you for asking it because I don't know what's in the minds of all these detectives. But I'll use Diane as an example. Not only did they charge her with this crime, and they, I believe in her arrest warrant, the victim is the state of Virginia because she wasted their time. So they get mad. They're like, we're the victim. You wasted our time. So that's why they go after her. Then on top of that, the next layer of cruelty, which is just so unnecessary, is they blast her on Facebook. They put a Facebook post, "Diane Bermio arrested from this neighborhood in North Carolina, and she is harassed immediately. And what do I see on Facebook? Every comment. Thank you so much for catching her. Wow, great job, police. Oh my God, what a loser. And then like they know that they're going to get that kind of reaction.
0: In a montage of police interviews of reporting victims play audio of an investigator telling the victim that deep down he's a really good guy. What the fuck? I mean, that happens
1: also in the um, TJ Bunn interview, right? I think there's like a boys club and we all know this, like a white male privileged little world. So you have TJ Bunn in Alabama and you have the cop who interviews him for about 18 minutes and keeps Megan Rondini in there in and out for three and a half hours. Megan later goes on to die by suicide. She took her life after this experience. In the very short interview, the cop's Get TJ in and out. Don't worry. We're going to keep, we're going to make this fast. We're not going to bother you too much. And then they thank him profusely, TJ and his lawyer. And he said, Yeah, if it was me on the other side, I'd want the same treatment. So it's let's look out for each other, guys. So we can still have this privilege, which is to rape women with impunity or assault women. And let's just keep it on the down low, minimize the harm, say it's unharmful. And we know that women make it up. That's this boys club stuff.
2: And just like the fact that, He was just accused of rape and he gets to go on a fishing trip. That is an example of how police don't see it as a violent crime. And you may have a dangerous person (laughs) who may commit that crime again. That is so wild that you're not like watching this. At the very least, hey, don't go anywhere. You need to stay put at the very least. So I thought that was always a very scary example of how police treat it. And one
0: of the investigators that you interviewed in Victim suspect says that he can easily talk victims out of reporting and then demonstrates how he would do it. Talking about, oh, she was drinking, you know, how the prosecutor would look at that if she was underage, things like that. You don't think I can, an 18-year-old can come up and I can talk her out of coming forward? Oh, I can. Uh, Oh, yeah, Kathy... Yeah, yeah, uh, I read your case. Yeah, sorry this happened to you. Hey, look, um, I'm going to tell you right now, because you were making out with this guy or his friend before, uh, that's not going to look good. So in the DA, you know, they're going to frown upon that you were drinking underage. Okay, thanks. Click, bang, sign it off, hand it in. If the police are victim blaming, of course society is going to victim blame. Why is everyone so intent on victim blaming? I've heard people talk about rape used to be the last
1: sort of boundary where you could, a woman could go to the police and get help and actually wield some power if she's believed. I think it's also just the fear of women's power, perceived power over men. So if I can go to the police and accuse you of rape, then I actually, oh, thank God, I get to keep my job or get a better job or get money from you or whatever these perceived like outcomes are. It's like the only thing women can do in a way to defend themselves. I think this is part of some of the warped thinking so that if that's taken away and you can not actually safely go to law enforcement to report a crime against your body, then all of our power stripped away. And I think that could be a little bit part of it too, this notion. And I I heard this 20 years ago when I made my first short film about rape, what are you trying to do? Ruin his life. We've all heard that, right? When we want to come forward with a story or we want to say, this was terrible or this happened. Why are you trying to do that? You're trying to ruin his life. It's like, why is me saying what happened to me, which wasn't a stall? Like, why are you more concerned about this perceived good guy? and the harm I might do to him. So I think also what you just said, Alyssa, deep down, he's a really good guy and he's still enacted an act of violence against this person, like why? I think people have also a really hard time holding both things to be true, that someone can be very nice to you and can also rape someone else because we know that happens, right? We know that happens. So I think people have a very hard time holding those two things as truth also.
0: Do you think that this is connected to the abortion issue, bodily autonomy and just stripping women of their rights, of all of it?
2: The next frontier I fear that I'm keeping an eye on is that in some of these abortion bans, there's some specific language I saw in Tennessee, for instance. There's already a false reporting statute in every state. You can't lie about a crime. We know that. But if you lie, if you say that you were raped in order to get an abortion, because that's the only way you can get an abortion in a certain state, there may be additional penalties now that were already there to begin with. But now you'd have to worry that, oh, God, if I can't prove that I was raped and I have an abortion, what's going to happen? So I'm pretty worried about that. I'm definitely keeping an eye on it because it's troubling.
0: I want to come full circle in this, and mind you, I could talk to you for days about this, but I want to go back to where we started in the beginning of our conversation, where we were talking about the numbers and the scope of the problem. If nearly half a million sexual assaults occur in this country every year, half a million, what do the experiences of these women tell us about how sexual assaults are reported or not reported, how they are investigated or not investigated, and how they are tried or not tried. I want to make a scary point to add to that sheer volume
1: of numbers. Only 1% are prosecuted. And we also know that by the time someone who commits rape is prosecuted, he's already done it multiple times because most rapists are serial offenders. So the way that Emma was raped, this was probably not this duo's first time. They have a game. They have a game. They have a strategy. They know what they're doing. TJ Bun Megan Rondini's rapist, was hanging out at that bar all the time. He's 36 years old. He's hanging out with 20-year-old girls. He's there all the time. There are these certain types of strategic placement, strategic target, strategic actions, and we should be focusing on that We should be focusing on those behaviors and the fact of predatory behaviors, getting sliding into someone's DMs, forcing them into a bathroom, multiple women reporting on this person. It's like these men do it. These perpetrators do it over and over again. And we care so little about one report, two report, three report. You see it with Bill Cosby, how many women had to come forward? Scores of women had to come forward, right? So I think the amount of volume of rape victims we have, the amount of prosecutions, which are so small. And now this is a new hurdle. What Ray has exposed, what victim suspects exposes is like an entirely new hurdle that even getting to report can be dangerous for you. It can ruin your reputation. It can ruin your career as a woman. You can go to prison. And the fact that there are offenders out there who are doing it over and over again because they're not getting caught, it's basically... Green lighting them because we have no recourse. Your question, Alyssa, like, what do we do if we don't report? That's a really good question. Like, we're actually, as a team, Ray and I with some others are looking at other methodologies. Like, what is safe if we cannot trust the police? What do we do? Like, how can communities keep each other safe? Looking to the Black community, looking to know your rights, transformative justice, restorative justice. In those frameworks, we have to also acknowledge that there are people who are gaming the system so that they can continue to harm people in a sexualized way. The numbers are so scary and we don't have any
0: recourse really that is safe for us. I mean, what needs to change? What needs to change? What are the solutions?
2: So we are working on coming up with a lot of impact possibilities right now with a lovely team. And what we're doing is we're reaching out to legislators, senators, movers and shakers and this field and trying to find ways to change it. And so I was talking to some lovely people over at Rain recently, some policy experts. And I think there's like a few different avenues you can take. I think the first avenue is really like to slow down the process because if the police are going to charge someone with false reporting, that's already a big if that you would need to do that. Probably there's no need to do it very quickly. It's not like these are people who you fear are on the run and I don't know, just making false claims every hour or something very unlikely. So you slow it down, let them know that they're a suspect now and these are their rights and give them a beat to go find an attorney that wouldn't have solved everyone's problem, but that might've slowed it down enough to give people some time to collect themselves And then there's this other avenue, which is like changing the statutes, changing the laws. That's really hard to do, of course. It's noble. It's maybe someone wants to take that up. If you're out there listening, please let me know. But yeah, that's super hard to do. And there are some legislatures that will be friendly to that and some that won't. So that's another avenue. But I do think first and foremost, what we can do that's like a very low, low hanging fruit is the very least, just let people know what their rights are, what to look out for. If you do feel like you want to report this, which is always your choice, your decision, look out for, yeah, just like police telling you some weird things. But Detective Cotto is pretty open that he does use ruses to get confessions.
1: Uh, As part of your job as a detective, uh, you lie to people that you are interrogating, correct? Uh, Yes, it's called a ruse. What you
0: try to do is Get to see if, uh, you know, you suggest things to see what the responses are and where they're going to lead to.
1: Yesterday was her sentencing hearing, and she was sentenced to one year behind bars, and she got a lashing from the judge.
2: After Nikki's case, five people submitted citizen complaints about Detective Kato's treatment of sexual assault victims. None resulted in a ruling against him. Was still the lead detective in the Bridgeport unit that investigates sexual assault. And try to take an attorney with you or an advocate if you can. That's not always available, but just be aware, just mostly trying to get people to be knowledgeable.
1: Speaking of low hanging fruit, look, there's a lot of problems with police departments all over the country, and there's also a lot of incredible investigators who do really care. And there are those who want to do better here and want to see the worst case scenario. And we feel like victim suspect presents, here's what not to do if a rape victim comes into your station. There are cops who want to do good and don't want to behave in these egregious, sloppy, poorly investigated ways, right? So we're trying to get this film to hundreds of police departments across the country. We want to drive home the point that if you are moving forward with a prosecution of a rape victim, and you're just basing your decision on her or his or their recantation, that's a problem and that needs to be looked at. So we're also trying to get to the Department of Justice to show like, how can we wrist slap police departments if they have this track record of arresting girls for making false reports? Like that's a red flag. It's also a red flag when the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this police department has some really bad marks against it. That is one of the largest party schools in the United States with one of the best football teams in the United States. They have under 10 reported rapes a year, 55,000 students there. The numbers are so small. There's some kind of thing going on there. That creates a real lack of transparency that needs to be looked at. So I think for us, we really wanted to like raise the alarm and raise that awareness that this can happen to try to activate law enforcement that does care, that does want to do better. Here's a tool, show it to everyone in your department who says women make it up, right? Number one, we got to activate the cops to work on their fellow cops, right? Because we know... Ray and I have a lot to do in our lives. We can't <laughs> do it. Emma and Diane are trying to live their lives. And we can't always, I'm sure you experienced this too, Alyssa, like it can't always fall on the shoulders of survivors to do all the work, right? We need to activate the other people who give a
0: shit to transform it from the inside. Yeah, we got to change the culture from the inside. Although I've only found that change happens when it's citizen activists rather than people who have some sort of stake in the outcome. How can people watch Victim Suspect?
1: Well, you can go to Netflix. We are streaming on Netflix, and that is where you can find us. Our socials are Victim Suspect. We already did a theatrical run, but we're definitely streaming and we'll be posting. Um, We're going to Washington We're going to the University of Alabama. We're going to go to some universities across the country. Ray's been identifying also different communities that might want to bring us. So we are available for that. If you want change in your community around this issue, definitely get in touch with us on all the victim suspect socials. And we would love to be there and
0: or stream us. And finally, what gives you both hope?
2: What gives me hope is that after the film came out, which I was really stressed and anxious about, It came out and then I realized after I got back online, because I was offline for a couple of days, I was like, oh, these are really nice messages. Actually, I was a little worried that it was going to be, you know, men's rights activists and that type. Um, So there wasn't that many of that. It was mostly, thank you so much for doing this. This really resonated with me. Unfortunately, this happened to me as well. That was really sad. But I also realized, wow, there's like this wonderful community out there who really cares about this a lot enough to write to me and also to share their story. I mean, that just means so much when people take time out to write to me. I really appreciate that. And that's given me a lot of hope. And then I've had some really promising conversations with some folks, some different legislators. So I'm holding my breath.
1: Well, also Ray, because of this film and your work, some of those slanderous pieces about Gianni were taken off the internet. No, Ray, as a journalist, went to these other journalists and were like, Hey, you guys do not take a police report. And publish it as if it's fucking fact. I want people to take that away as well. That the cops, you know, love to shame people. They shame women. They shame Black men. Like, it's like, bad people, alert. And media should not run with that as truth. So Ray's actually gotten that stuff taken down, which is a just a beautiful outcome for Diane. And I think journalism gives me hope. And we have to, like, support the people who do very difficult very unglamorous challenging work to expose the truth and i think more and more we need that so critically and being able to tell stories like this and get that support and make films and just create community around those films is really hopeful to me
0: well ray and nancy you both give me hope thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast Thank you so much, Alyssa. Thanks for having us.
2: I went through the reporting process over a year after my assault, and I actually found the process of reporting to be more traumatic than the assault itself. I felt like I wasn't believed. The policeman told me there was two sides to every story, and he handed me a brochure on couples counseling. With sexual assault, the person on trial is often the survivor, to see if people believe them that a crime actually occurred. And what people then ask is not who did it, but are you sure that it happened?
0: When we say believe women, this is what we mean. That we, especially those of us with societal power, don't start from a place of disbelieving women when they report sexual assaults. Ray and Nancy demonstrated some of the devastating personal effects of not believing women in victim-suspect. And there are even larger cultural effects. For example, when the Republicans in the Senate did not believe Christine Blasey Ford, we ended up with a credibly accused sexual abuser on the Supreme Court. When they didn't believe Anita Hill, we ended up with a credibly accused sexual harasser on the Supreme Court. This sets a standard for laws and for law enforcement. It's why believing women is at the core of the Me Too movement. We still have so much work to do, but it starts with every single one of us believing women when they tell us they were sexually assaulted.